I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, but, you know, Christmas just a week or two ago, and probably most of you, if not all of you, received some type of Christmas present. But have you ever had this experience that someone that cares about you and is trying to be nice to you gives you a gift, and you excitedly open the gift, and you look at the gift, and you have an immediate dilemma on your hands? Number one, you cannot figure out what in the world it is that they have given to you. You don't want to ask them, what is this, because you're afraid you're going to offend them. And then you begin to try to, you know, look at it and work with it in your hands and think through it. And the next thought you had is, why did they give this to me? And what am I ever going to do with this? And you don't want to hurt their feelings, so you smile and you say, thank you so much. And in your mind, you're thinking, thank you so much for giving me whatever this is. I don't know what I'll ever do with it, but I appreciate it. And then in your mind, you begin to locate that strategic place in a closet that you will place it once you get home, never to be seen again. Or you have this thought in mind, regifting. Uh, I have to give something to someone else, and I don't know what to do with this, so I'll just re-gift it and give it to somebody else. But all of us have probably been in that place where we just sit there and look at that gift and wonder, what in the world am I going to do with this? In an odd sort of way, that's a lot of times where we are with the Holy Spirit. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, God places into our lives His promise, His gift of the Holy Spirit. And we thank the Lord for that, but we don't really have a clue as to what we're going to do with the Holy Spirit. We're not sure why God has placed the Holy Spirit into our lives. We're not exactly sure what we're supposed to do with Him or what He's going to do with us. And so we're just sort of like, well, maybe we'll just sort of take the Holy Spirit as a nice concept and push Him to the back closet of our minds and hear about Him in church every now and then, and we'll be satisfied and happy with that. But we're really not sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes as Baptists, we've sort of had an attitude, we're going to re-gift Him and give Him over to the penalty. Pentecostals, uh, etc., because they seem to know what to do with the Holy Spirit a whole lot more than we know what to do with the Holy Spirit, because we're not really sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to participate and receive all that God has for us in the gift and the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Now, over the next two months through the book of Acts, we're going to look in detail at how the early Christians received the gift of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowered them and worked in their lives. On Wednesday night, starting in two weeks, we're going to do a Francis Chan study on the work of the Holy Spirit. And the focus I want to give to this study and to this series of messages is going to be on experiencing the Holy Spirit. My purpose in this is not to just get up here on Sunday mornings and pack y'all's minds with more theological knowledge about the Holy Spirit. In fact, if that's all we do, we aren't going to accomplish much of anything. The purpose is for you to experience what we're talking about. Now, I can't experience the Holy Spirit for you. You have to experience the Holy Spirit for yourself. And what I'm going to be talking about isn't going to really mean a whole lot to you until you experience what I'm talking about. I can talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, but until you experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's just going to seem like words. So this is going to be my challenge to us. The messages and the study we do, I want you to take it, I want you to listen to it, 
but I really want you to get alone with the Lord in prayer sometime during the week and say, God, would you please help me to experience this? I want to know and I want to experience the reality of the Holy Spirit in my life, but Lord, you've got to make that happen. And so I want to open my life to you for that experience to take place and then let God do through the Spirit whatever He wants to do in your life. One of the problems sometimes we have is that we predetermine what the fullness and the experience of the Holy Spirit is going to look like and feel like, and we get scared about that, and so we just back away from it. Instead of letting the Lord do in our lives what He wants to with the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I want to experience what I'm learning, but, Lord, I'm not going to tell you what it's going to look like and feel like that decision is up to you. I'm just going to move with you in that. Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. The author of the book of Acts, as best we can tell, is Luke. He was a doctor. He was a companion of the apostle Paul. And interestingly enough, Luke was a Gentile, one of the few authors of Scripture that was a Gentile. And God was in the process of saying that the good news of Jesus is for all folks, not just for any one group. And in those days in the early church, the idea of a Gentile being a spiritual leader and a writer of a book of Scripture was almost unheard of, and so that is a uniqueness that he carries. He is the writer, of course, of the Gospel of Luke and this book. He writes both books to a gentleman we don't know really much about, but his name is Theodophilus or Theophilus. The theme of Acts is to spread the good news of Jesus, but to spread the good news of Jesus as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is a story. It is basically one story after another story, and it is called Acts because it is just that, one act after another act of what the Holy Spirit of God is doing through the followers of Jesus. Now, today we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, which function as a literary preface to the book, to introduce the book. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, and his first book being the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus, notice the verb here, began to do and to teach. Now, I want us to see several things there. First of all, he says Jesus did it, and then he taught it. Notice the flow there. Jesus did it, and then he taught it. He didn't teach it and then do nothing about it. He did it first, and then he taught what they had just seen him do. God is a God of action, not just a God of speaking. His speech is always preceded by or backed up by action. And notice the verb there, Jesus began to do and to teach. What Luke is setting him up for, setting us up for as readers of this book, is that this book is the story of the continuation of what Jesus began in his earthly ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not the sum total of what Jesus did on this earth. They were just the first half, using a football illustration, the first half of the first quarter of what he's been up to. He just kicked the ball off and got it rolling. He's been continuing his work through his followers ever since then. He is as much at work on this earth through those who follow him as he was when he walked on this earth physically 2,000 years ago. That Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, 
after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit, notice how the Spirit of God is tied into the ministry of Jesus to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. And how did he do that? By many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, notice the verb again, he ordered them, didn't request, didn't suggest, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, Luke begins by saying this is what Jesus did after the resurrection. He gave commands through the Holy Spirit. He presented himself for 40 days to convince the disciples that he was alive and that he was engaged with them and what he was doing. But then verse 4, he says that Jesus ordered them, you stay in Jerusalem and don't leave Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. Now, he had told them already to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. But he says it's important that you stay in Jerusalem because you need to be empowered before you go. Now, we as Baptists have been really good about talking about go, go, go and share the good news of Jesus. So we talk missions and all of that. But we have tended to be very weak about being empowered before you go. And what Jesus said here is the order is you get empowered by the Holy Spirit and then you go. Going without empowerment, going not preceded by empowerment will lead to burnout every time. But empowerment that then leads to going and sharing the message of Jesus will lead to victory. That is the difference. So he says you've got to be empowered first. Now, first of all, my sermon outline is printed on the back of your bulletin. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And as we probe through the book of Acts, I'm not going to be able to answer that question. It's an entirety today. But we're going to begin today by looking at who is the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of Acts, there is a very interesting pattern when people come to Christ. First off, they repent of their sins. They turn and go in a different direction. Secondly, they experience forgiveness from God. Then they are baptized. Last week I baptized two folks up here. They are baptized. And then they receive, in that whole process, they receive the presence and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit into their lives. Now, I cannot stress that pattern enough in Scripture. I repent of sin. I experience the forgiveness of God. I am baptized, and I receive in that process the presence, the indwelling, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The first Christians had a clear understanding that the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was a critical part of choosing to follow Jesus as their Savior. And you see, so often what we do is we ask people to come down to trust Christ as their Savior, to get saved, as we like to say, to be baptized, and then we just drop the whole business of the Holy Spirit completely. So we set people up for failure because they don't get empowerment, they don't realize they can walk in the empowerment that God has for them through the presence of the Spirit. Now notice what he says in verse 5. He says, not many days from now... He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Luke is saying it's going to happen quick. It's going to happen soon. There is a sense that he's communicating of immediacy about this. In other words, I don't want you to sit around and wait forever. I don't want you to ignore this. I want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the baptism of the Spirit? To be baptized of the Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, is to be surrounded by the Spirit. When I baptize someone, I place them totally into the water. The water surrounds them. And the idea of being baptized in the Spirit is that I am immersed in the power, in the presence, and in the person of the Holy Spirit. He surrounds my life. This baptism of the Spirit is for all believers, and it happens when we choose to follow Jesus as our Savior. Now, if you'll keep your finger in the book of Acts, and let's go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at several passages from the book of Corinthians in just a moment as we get there. Now, the Spirit of God is the promise of God the Father. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I cannot stress this enough. Sometimes the Spirit of God has been referred, Holy Spirit has been referred to as the third member of the Trinity. And the problem I, I have with that expression is we get the idea that, you know, he's sort of the, the third in line. So he's not as divine as the Father and the Son are. The Spirit of God is presented in Scripture as as much divine, as much God as God the Father and God the Son. Now, God exists in three persons, Father, Spirit, and Son. All are equally divine. How they relate to our lives differs according to each one and the function that they have. But they are all equal in terms of power, in terms of love, in terms of glory, in terms of divinity. They are all equal. Now, how can one exist as three? I don't understand that. And if I could stand up here and explain that to you, I'd really be something else. But I can't explain that to you. I remember my dad in a car when I was a kid trying to explain the Trinity to me. And he got so frustrated after a while, he couldn't see straight because you can't explain the Trinity. But you know, if I could explain God, God would be no bigger than the space between my two ears. Because I can't explain God, it's just proof he's so much greater than we are. So the Trinity, he exists in his entirety, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Spirit of God is God relating and making contact with us and empowering us. Now the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He is a person. Just as God the Father is a person, and God the Son is a person... The Holy Spirit is a person. Because He is a person and not a thing, we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and we can relate to the Holy Spirit because He is a person. Now the word spirit is the idea of breath or wind. With wind, we cannot see it, but we can sure feel it. And we can sure see its results. And the idea of the Holy Spirit is we cannot see Him. But we can sense and know and experience His presence in our lives. 
and we can see the results of His presence in our lives. The idea of when is that we cannot control when. And even so, we cannot control the Holy Spirit. So He is that breath of God, that third person of the Trinity, that person that makes, through God making contact with us, and He comes and indwells us when we choose to follow the Lord Jesus as our Savior. I will say more about this in weeks to come, but He is the Holy Spirit. And part of His task, His assignment in our lives, is to make us holy, which means to make us Christ-like. Now, what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? Luke 3.16, Jesus says, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, let's look at those passages in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Look at that verse again. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul is saying here as he teaches the church in Corinth about the Holy Spirit, all the members of the body of Christ, we have all been baptized in the Spirit. He has baptized all of us into His church. In fact, when I baptize folks, I'll say, this baptistry is a picture, it's a symbol of you being placed all the way into the body of Christ. So all of us are baptized into the Spirit. And notice what he goes on to do in this verse. He says, Jews or Greeks, those were the two major ethnic diversities of that day, and slave or free. Those were the two major socioeconomic groups of that day. And what Paul is trying to teach them and train them in and yank and pull them out of is a mindset that one ethnicity is superior to another or one socioeconomic group is superior to another. He's saying regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of whether you're a slave or free, all of us are baptized by the same Spirit. He does the same work in all of our lives. So don't look at each other as primarily your ethnicity or socioeconomic group. Look at each other as that you have been baptized by and into the Holy Spirit of God. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you'll turn just a few chapters over. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Notice what he says, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Paul is teaching the folks in Corinth, when you trusted Jesus as your Savior, God placed 
the person of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the Holy Spirit indwells you. Your human body has literally become by an act of God the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Now let that sink in to you. I don't use the word awesome a whole lot because I think it gets overused in our culture, but that is awesome. That is awesome. That when you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, God places the Holy Spirit inside of us. He indwells us. These bodies literally become temples where the Spirit of God lives and dwells. The next time Satan gets to beating up on you and telling you you are trash or garbage, just look at him in the face and quote this verse and say, I don't care what you say about me. God says my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now what I do with my body is big and major. Because I, whatever I do with my body, I'm doing with the temple of the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell the Lord, okay, Spirit of God, come jump in me on Sunday morning when I'm doing church and when I'm doing my own thing on Friday night or whenever else, you jump out of me and I'll leave you back at the church or leave you at home. He's with us 24 hours a day. And when we choose not to live for the Lord, we just set ourselves up for a war inside of us. Because the Spirit of God is going to go to war with what's ever going on inside of us that's disobedient. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Now, what happens to you and I when we are baptized in the Spirit? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Stay right in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you. He's speaking about how they were adulterers and idolaters and sexually immoral and the whole nine yards, thieves, you name it. And such were some of you. But notice what he says in verse 11. But you were, he's going to give us three verbs here. Number one, you were washed. Second, you were sanctified. Third, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. So what does the Holy Spirit do in us when we are baptized in the Spirit? And this is reality we need to start living in. First verb, he says you were washed or you were cleansed. Now you can write this down. Every time the Bible talks about us being washed and being cleansed, it means we were set free. If you're dirty and you take a bath, you get washed up, and it means you're set free from the dirt. It's not on your body anymore. Now, wouldn't it be stupid to go out and take a bath and be all clean and then walk around and talk about how dirty you are and act like you're dirty when you were clean? When I was a boy growing up, and I went outside and I played, and it got all dirty when I hit the doorway, my mother said, go to the bathroom and wash up. But once I did that, I was free to go anywhere in the house I wanted to, and I was free to go to the dinner table. And you see, when God washes us up, 
We are set free to go anywhere in the kingdom of God that he takes us and asks us to go, and we are free and we are cleaned up to go sit at his table and partake of all that he's got for us. And if the devil gets on your back and he's telling you constantly, you cannot serve the Lord, you cannot be empowered by God, you cannot be used of God because you've got sin in your life and you're all messed up, you can't pray because God's not going to listen to you because you're all messed up and you're all dirty before the Lord and anything else he does, what you and I've got to do is start quoting scripture back to the devil and saying, he says I'm washed, I'm clean, I can go anywhere God called me to go, I can pray any way I want to pray because he has set me free. So many of us are living in bondage because we're not living in the reality of the freedom that he has for us. I'm clean. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been set free. I just got to pray like it and live like it and serve like it. You are washed. Next, he says, you are sanctified. I could preach all day on this, so I'm going to have to move quick. The idea of being sanctified is that we have been set apart to Jesus. We have been united to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. Let me give you two illustrations of how sanctification works in our lives. I know it's a big word, but it's a simple concept. White blood cells and super glue, all right? White blood cells and super glue. What in the world has that got to do with the Holy Spirit? About you better find out, all right? When God made your body, he placed white blood cells in your body. Your white blood cells have a very important function. They fight off infection and push foreign stuff that's going to hurt you out of your body. That's one of the major functions of white blood cells. If your white blood cell count goes down, you're in trouble because you can't fight off the infection. The Holy Spirit of God has been placed inside of us to fight off the infection of sin. So when you and I start letting sin creep into our lives and we begin to walk in disobedience, the Holy Spirit of God is going to go into action fighting off the infection of sin. I had a Bible teacher when I was growing up that used to say to us the most miserable people on the face of the earth are Christians who were living in disobedience to the Lord. That's because that war is going on inside of us. The Holy Spirit springs into action fighting off the disobedience and the sin in our lives. Any of y'all ever had a time when you were walking in disobedience to the Lord and, and you, you were just so miserable? God told you to do something or become something and we just said no, no, no. After a while you learn when God tells you to do something, just give up and go with it, all right? It's a whole lot easier to move in the obedience than it is to move in the misery of the disobedience. But that's that, that work of the Spirit, that white blood cell work of the Spirit. Secondly, super glue. You ever super glued anything? Like that Gorilla Glue, just sticks right to it, can't get it to break. It's the work of the Spirit to superglue us to Jesus. That idea of being sanctified is He superglues us to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that, because that's another thing that's awesome. As sinful as we are, as messed up as we are, as much as we have blown it, Jesus wants us to be super glued to him. And he put the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to make sure that it happened and that it's happening. And you see, what he's trying to do in us every day is just super glue us more and more to Jesus, where we just love him more 
and we want to be with him more, and we have a deeper sense of his presence and his peace with us. There have been some times over the 30 years that I've been a pastor that I have been with some saints who have walked with God for decades in the final days, in some cases the final hours or minutes of their lives. They're with them on what we call their deathbed. And let me tell you what I've seen, whether they were battling cancer or heart disease or whatever was going to shut this body down and take them out of this world physically. Because they were so super glued to Jesus. They had a peace, His peace, that was greater than the disease. And I haven't seen folks laying there knowing they're getting ready to die scared half to death. I've seen people super glued to Jesus who deep in their souls knew that the one who saved them years ago was the same one who was Lord on the other side. And they were dying with an anticipation, not of death, but they were finally going to get to lay their eyes on him. That's that. That's where God takes you towards the end of life and being super glued to him. He'll give you courage. He'll give you the power, the glory. I mean, I could go on forever, but that, that's what he does. The Spirit sanctifies us. He un, brings the union with us to Jesus. He super glues us to Jesus. And then finally he says he's going to justify you. That means he puts us right with God. He gives us access into the presence of God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When I was a kid growing up, I had a friend of mine named Greg. And Greg's dad was a doctor. Now, if I went to his dad's office, I could not just walk in to his office and see the, his name was Dr. Fisher. I couldn't just walk into Dr. Fisher's office and say, I'm going to see Dr. Fisher. Receptionist would have stopped me at the door and said, are you crazy? Nobody just walks in here and demands to see the doctor or just goes back in there. You've got to have an appointment. You've got to be invited back here. Don't just walk back in there. But when I went to Dr. Fisher's house and I rang the doorbell and Greg answered the door, my friend, Greg would say, come on in. And I go into the house, Dr. Fisher's house. And I saw Dr. Fisher in the kitchen, and I saw Dr. Fisher in the living room and in the den. I go anywhere in the house I wanted to with Greg, and as long as I went with Greg through the house, I got access to Dr. Fisher's house and to anywhere Dr. Fisher was. I mean, I didn't want to bother with visiting Dr. Fisher at the office when I could go to Dr. Fisher's house. Oh, what was the difference? The sun was the difference. See, when I went to the office, it was just me. When I went to the house, I was going through the sun. And what the Spirit of the God does in our lives where it says that He justifies us is He gets us to understand that, folks, we don't have to make an appointment to see God. We got access to the Lord's house through the sun. We can go anywhere in the house with the sun. We get an audience with the Father God because of the Son and through the Son. And the Spirit of God works in our lives if we will let Him to realize that.
and to walk in that reality. Now, why is it that we live so far below what I talked about this morning? I mean, all that stuff is great, but most of us are honest. We live so far below and so apart from the ministry of the Spirit. 27 years ago this May, my life changed. I stood at a, on a platform like this in a church in Richmond and took my wedding vows. I walked in a single guy, and I walked out a married guy. Now, I realized as I walked out as a married guy that everything in my life had changed in those minutes. My wife can testify, just about passed out on the platform during the service. I've never been so nervous in my life. We had a time during the service where we were down on our knees and I was there at the altar and I thought, well, this will work well because if I pass out, I can just slump over the thing and nobody will know it and they'll keep on singing and hopefully give me some recovery time, etc. She was as calm as a cucumber, which really irritated me that she was so calm and I was so nervous. But when I walked out of the church, we were married. Now, in the days and weeks to come, I began to realize that how much had changed in my life. When I went to fill out forms, I wasn't checking off single anymore. I was checking off married. When I filled out forms that said, if you have this medical procedure done and you die, who should we contact? Who's your next of kin? Have you ever gone? That's a really warm feeling when you're getting ready to have a procedure done and you got to put that information down, etc. But I, I, you know, I remember that putting down Helen Slayton and this is her phone number, etc. In, in case you know I kill over whatever this is, who you got to call, etc. Except when I fill out insurance forms, you know, if I don't make it, this is who's going to get to inherit everything, etc. I began to realize that I related to people differently. Now, please follow me on this. I also realized that, you know, I, I couldn't play the field anymore. I had made my decision, and it was Helen, and it wasn't anybody else. Now, not only was that going to get me in trouble with the law, it did mean that I did try to play the field again. I would be meeting the Lord in heaven in a very quick period of time by the time Helen got through with me. <laughs> but that phase of my life was over. It was, as Scripture says, a one-woman man. What I'm trying to say to you is this. When I walked out of the church that day, my legal status had changed. My social status had changed. My relational status had changed. Helen was no longer just a friend, no longer just a fiance. She was now my wife, the closest relationship in my life. But I had to choose, and I've had to make the same decision every day for the last 27 years. I had to choose to live like a married man. In every relationship of my life, I have to choose to live like a married man. Now, I've got a ring on my finger that visibly and physically reminds me that I am a married man. But I've got to live like it and think like it and talk like it and behave like it. And you see, the Bible says that when we trust Jesus as our Savior, He places the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
Spirit of God is almost like a wedding ring that we wear that says we belong to Jesus. But the reason we are living so far below what God has for us in the work of the Spirit is in most cases we're still living like we're single when we've been married to Him. I'm still act, we're still acting out of our wisdom, out of our power, etc. I have to choose every day that I get up to say... I'm going to walk with Jesus today. I am going to tap into the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit because God's done everything He could do to place the Spirit of God in me. But I've got to choose to live like the Spirit of God is in me. If we make that decision, we will know the power of the Spirit. If we don't, we're in for a miserable ride. And it's our choice. Our choice. But when we choose to walk and live in the power of the Spirit, we're going to see over the next number of weeks what God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask you to help us to experience the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are not interested in just knowledge about the Spirit. God, we want to experience what it is for you to act like white blood cells and start fighting the infection of disobedience in our lives. We want to experience, God, what it is to be super glued to Jesus. Lord, shape, mold, and create within us a hunger, a thirst for you. And yes, God, if necessary, a distaste and, and, a, and a deep frustration of not living in that experience of the Spirit. God, make us so thirsty for the Spirit of God's presence that we will not be satisfied with anything less than an ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us to be willing to give up whatever we've got to give up to walk in what you've got for us in that experience with your spirit. God, make that, make that, I pray, our heart cry to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, let God place the Spirit inside of you for that first time. As we sing in just a moment, I'm going to encourage you and ask you to take a bold step, and that is to walk from where you are down the front here to where I am and say, today I want to follow Jesus and I want to know Jesus. Every person that Jesus called, He called publicly. And so we want to invite you to take up his invitation, his call, and say, today I want to follow Jesus and know him. If you sense that God is calling you to be part of our church family and leading you in that direction, we invite you to come. If you sense that God has been speaking and moving in your life and saying, I want you in ministry, then I invite you to come. If you need to experience believer's baptism, we invite you to come. Whatever the step of obedience is, maybe just standing there in the pew and singing and saying, yes, Lord, in that area where you've been saying, no, Lord, and the Spirit of God's been convicting you, say yes to Him. Let's stand together and sing. Come if you will.